the beautiful thing about AI is that it's a, what I call a horizontal force. When you have technologies, there are vertical forces that can be only applied in one area of the business. Or you have horizontal forces, which can be applied across the entire area of the business. Welcome to the Innovation and in Compliance Podcast, part of the Compliance Podcast Network. Join us every week as we talk with industry innovators who are making compliance to help business run more efficiently and at the end of the day, more profitably. Here's your host, Tom Fox. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, back for another episode. And today I have with me Brian Satya Nathan. Hope I got that right. If so, it's probably one of the few times I've got that last name correct. But Brian, first of all, welcome. And thank you so much for taking the time to visit with me today. Tom, thank you for having me here. And great to be here as well. I'm very, very excited to be on your show. And it's going to be fun. Could you tell us a little bit about your professional background? Absolutely, John. Currently, I am a Chief Digital Officer and the CTO and the co-founder of a company called Iterate.ai. But then my professional background, I've always been a technologist and a, and a sort of a, like a market that combined together. So I started in 2099 with Apple, and then I grew up the racks and worked on a lot of their secret products. And then after Apple, I was on the first iPhone team when we first invented the device. And then I ended up starting a video streaming company, my own startup that got acquired. And then I did a bunch of venture capital work investing in startup companies. And then I ended up starting Iterate AI after that with my co-founder, John Murphy. May I assume from your professional background, you did survive Y2K? Yeah, I did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> good, good. Always have to ask that. Yeah. So what led you to co-found Iterate AI? So when we first started Iterate AI, John and I were, we were sitting on a board in, in Ukraine. I was sitting in a couple of boards, and one of the boards that I was sitting in was an incubator out of Ukraine that was helping Ukrainian entrepreneurs come to the U.S. and sell to U.S. corporates and license their software and so on. Very quickly, we realized that the world is flat. You know, there is so much technology going out there and, you know, like the same level of the same quality of entrepreneurs you had in the U.S., you had in Ukraine as well. So we begin to realize that this is going to be the next so this was in 2011, right after I sold my company, my first company. So I'm like, this is going to, that's going to be a big boom here. And this is going to be the trend. Innovation is going to be everywhere. And we start, wanted to have a company that helps large companies innovate a lot faster. Fast forward a couple of years, we realized that for large companies to innovate more aggressively and more effectively, they need software that actually is connected to all these ecosystems. You know, in 2000, if you are a senior leader in a big company, your, your biggest threat was, how do I get my business on the internet? But now, if you are a senior leader in a large company, you have to battle with 20 different things, right? So we kind of summarized that into the five forces of innovation, AI, IoT, blockchain, data, and startup. So as a senior leader, you have to combat all those five things. So we provide software, like a Lego, like drag and drop software that helps you to build AI applications a lot faster, IoT apps a lot faster and bring them to market a lot faster because it's sort of a Lego-type model of everything is pre-built for you. So you can basically, you know, bring that in and, you know, bring up larger systems very quickly to market. In fact, the benchmark, we can bring large digital applications 17x faster. This is not just a front-end app, but you're talking about entire enterprise solution. 17x faster than what's possible because imagine you are building a house from scratch versus, you know, bringing out in a luxury home in a truck where you can put together. So that's kind of the best way to think about it, right? So during the boom, during the pandemic, we had a big growth. We grew like 238% in 
we were listed as one of the fastest growing company in the Deloitte Fast 500 list. And now we are like about 100 some people uh, here in Silicon Valley and Denver, India and in Sri Lanka. What's your Sri Lankan operations? So we have quite a lot of AI engineers in Sri Lanka for basically focusing specifically on uh, taking very complicated AI technologies like like generative AI, right? Like all the stuff that's happening with large language models, generative AI, also like object recognition, computer vision, and wrapping that and bringing them into more usable Lego blocks within our platform. And also building like subsystems, for example, you know, along with licensing our platform, we also have applications built for the industry. For instance, in the convenience store industry, we have a license plate recognition. So you could put your credit card on your, on your mobile app, and you can drive to the gas station. The camera will know the, your, your license plate and it'll authenticate you. It'll charge your card and release the phone. But though that's an application built on top of our Lego platform. So we have, we license applications like that, which is currently running in across a couple of customers. We have like some 3,500 locations covered by this thing. And also if you go to a beauty retailer like Alta or anybody, we cover a lot of applications for them as well. So there's a lot of different places where this is actually deployed. And we work with, very large recognizable brand, and we are deployed at scale. Can you tell me what the term low-code software is and what is enterprise transformation with low-code AI and IoT? Great question, Tom. So low-code, what it simply means is that in the old world, where before all these things began, you wrote software, you wrote code, which is lines and lines and lines of code. And then when you build large systems, you have millions of lines of code and thousands of code modules. And over time, it becomes very hard to maintain. And the people who are writing these code also have to know how to interact with the system. Then came in this concept of low code and no code. Low code means the code blocks are already somewhat written for you. You don't necessarily deal with code per se. You're actually dragging and dropping these functional blocks and connecting, building your application. And you, of course, have the ability to modify something and edit its function by changing the code if you want to go into the code level. But you also get to drag and drop and begin to build because you're taking abstracted piece of code and converting that into Lego blocks, right? So there is a difference between low code and no code. So like a lot of marketing people right now, there's a lot of marketing companies that are, are selling these no code software. No code means you don't write any code at all. It's all purely Lego type drag and drop, right? Low code means you know, it's like drag and drop, but then you can go in and customize the code. Because for large enterprise application and for digital transformation, you need the ability to customize because every company is different. You can never ever build a no-code platform that takes care of all the possibilities. So with the low-code platform, you get the flexibility of customization and doing what the company needs. But at the same time, it also gives you enough abstraction. You can get started faster and you can go to market faster and deploy your solutions much faster. In fact, the best cases we've benchmarked is around 17x faster. So on your website, you have multiple use cases and industries that you've worked in. Until a couple of years ago, I lived in Houston, and I've always worked in the energy industry, so I'm very interested in that industry. How does iterative or how has iterative AI worked with companies in the energy space? So energy is definitely a very interesting industry. We've done um, a couple of projects and prototypes in that area, right? So energy is like all the way from exploration, right? At the very, very early exploration to the very end where you have distribution, convenience stores and actual retail. So we've done a lot more work on the retail side with energy in terms of 
gas stations, powering license plates, powering payment, running commerce systems underneath, and also doing automated AI systems and all that stuff. Like all that stuff in the retail space, in the, in the back end of the supply chain. In the front end, we've done work for, you know, especially when, you know, you have drillers go in and they produce like traditional, you know, drill graphs. They come in as graph forms. So if you want to recalibrate the driller, you can actually take a graph form like that and use our computer vision software to understand the graph and convert the graph back into coordinates. Because sometimes what happens is a lot of these uh, wells are sold over time and then you only end up with paper data and you actually don't have the equivalent digital data. So we have technology to convert a lot of these paper data into digital data and then actually to train models to solve individual use case problems within those things. So that's more on the front end of the exploration. So does your solution have a set level of documentation that could be audited by either a company's internal audit function or external auditors? Or even if uh, regulators came knocking, you could demonstrate compliance through your documentation? So in general, as a company, because we work with very large companies, we have to comply with a lot of corporate and security requirements. They have a lot of different standards, right? For example, like, you know, you have to, you can, if you're working with government, you have to be NIST compliant. And if you're working with you know, various uh, brands, large companies, you want to be about SOX2, SOX2 compliant or various standards. So we follow a lot of the standards and our platform today, we go through lots of, what do you call it, FAQ, self-service questionnaire to be compliant. Yeah. So the platform has documentation today. And also we have a lot of security penetration testing compliant for data. And we also do a lot of data privacy. So we are actually DPA compliant with all the different CCPA and GDPR related data. So the use cases, I wanted to maybe transition from that into some specific questions about AI and how either iterative AI could assist a client or customer or how you see AI being utilized in a broader scope. Let me start with how could AI or the work you do at Iterative AI, be used to scale up a business. The beautiful thing about AI is that it's a, what I call a horizontal force. When you have technologies that are vertical forces that can be only applied in one area of the business, or you have horizontal forces which can be applied across the entire area of the business. Let's take, for instance, a retail business. At the very front of the customer journey, you are selling to the customer. So you want to know your customer very intimately. Things like, recommendations, personalization, you know, image recognition, image-based recommendation, and so on. Search, right? Image-based search, voice search. So you, the, how you interact with the customer in the very front can all be done by AI gets better, right? AI is applied to them. If you go to Amazon for shopping, you know, like we are, everything is all AI powered, right? All the way from personalization to recommending and even like price optimization. So that's all places where the business interacts with the customer. Then you go, you spill down in a little bit back. Now things like merchandising, right? how do you actually manage merchandising? How you show products? How you actually generate feeds for those products? How do you, if there are gaps in the product feed, how do you rewrite them using AI? How do you create brand new content? You know, AI applies there. Now let's look at marketing. Marketing is all about, with, especially with ChatGPT and all, it's all about generating content. The marketing teams could actually train an engine with the data. In fact, we are right now doing something, we're offering a product at Iterate AI, where you can actually take your custom data and you could train all your brand product information into a, a large language model. And then automatically, that language model put back and write product descriptions, right? Things like that. 
So in that way, you can actually generate, you can use AI in a much more bigger way, much more efficient way in generating content. And yes, you go further and further right, into IT, AI is applied everywhere. And then you go the further into supply chain where your products are generated. There is all kinds of route optimization, there is better time of delivery, storage optimization. So AI is across your entire business, not only the customer facing plane, but also it's on, on the internal IT plane as well, right? Your employees in hiring, all the way from employee hiring to employee termination and employee growth can also be powered by AI. So AI is everywhere. It's a horizontal force. That's why it's very popular. I just gave you an example of one industry, but you can take the same thing. We can take the same example for banking, all the way from the front of the customer to the back end of the bank. You can look at AI. You can even look at AI for investment. Every industry, everywhere. That's why if you, I don't know if you know this, Tom, I'm sure you would have practiced this. When I think IDC or some of the firms, when they came in with the AI numbers, the original numbers were like, you know, the market size was like 200 billion. Over time, I think they revised it four times. Now I think it's like some 680 billion. That's how big the market is in 2030. And I've actually even seen smaller firms uh, coming up with numbers that are over a trillion. That's the buying price. So the reason that is so hard, so big, this is just the B2B side of AI. The reason it is so big, because it's in every part, every department has an AI use case. You know, from legal to HR, to marketing, to finance, to accounting, to like, in like a little, lot of GA, because a lot of times when a new technology comes, it always comes into the marketing side or into the consumer side or the, or the actual product side. And with AI, it's everywhere. You will find it in GNA, you will find it in legal, you will, you know, every part of the balance sheet is influenced by AI, which is amazing. So business process automation is something that many leaders are thinking about in a wide variety of corporate disciplines. And the general theory, as I understand it, is that if you can remove some of the more repetitive tasks that perhaps require a little less ingenuity and initiative, you can give people more time to really blossom out and use their more creative side. First of all, hopefully that's a fair assessment of business process automation from your perspective. But whatever your perspective might be, how do you see the role of AI in business process automation? And are you helping companies to really use some of those AI-driven completion of tasks to help business process automation? So I think the business process automation is just one of the very, very early places where not only just AI, but even low code itself took its origins because a lot of the tasks are repetitive and it also most of the time follows some kind of a workflow where it starts in A, goes to B, has a bunch of branches. You know. So because of the nature of how it works, a lot of BPO, BPA processes had the low code started there. So eventually that low code actually from there, it went into a lot of other places like deep enterprise application, consumer apps, industrial solution, and so on. But the AI itself in general is very applicable in the, in the, in the BPO process, right? Like the way we help is especially a lot of our business process optimization and business process modification work with AI is happening within large companies, especially within banks, insurance, and finance institutions, where there is a lot of data and there is a lot of conversion from digital data into data that can actually be understood because a lot of times data is sitting in places where and it's not flowing properly. So using a platform like us, you can build the Lego blocks and build a workflow very gracefully. And you can apply AI at every point of the decision making. For example, banks modifying loan queues or looking at loan applications and figuring out actual lenders in real time. There are lots and lots and lots of applications. So like for example, insurance and you're looking at you know, medical claims, bills coming in, 
using converting them back into actual data and then creating this profile of customer. All those things can actually be on. We, we help in all those areas by using machine learning and AI in there. So AI is definitely playing a part. But today, I think the way AI is being used is it's being used as, if AI is being used with a combination of rule-based or workflow systems. What I mean is somebody has to go and put these blocks together, build a workflow, and some parts of the workflow will use AI, because calculation or OCR extracting data or like whatever, right? Whatever they are recommending products and offering. So you, you have a human put workflow together that has places where you have AI capabilities plugged in or machine learning capabilities plugged in. Tomorrow, what happens is because the nature of our workflows are predictable, just like you type a problem and ChatGPT generates your text, a lot of that stuff will be generated. A lot of AI industry is going to be like a single tier workflow generation. It'll just look at what you just upload your got prior things and it'll generate workflows for you in real time. And then you can go and modify, oh, well, this should not be routed to this person. It should be routed to that person. If there's a failure here, pass it on. So you can change. So there'll be a lot of code generation that that's going to happen in this space. Because in you know, the content generation, what ChatGPT is doing today with large language models for a, generate, for a general problem is much harder to do than actually training a bunch of built-in workflows and have workflows generated automatically. So you're going to have generation very quickly coming in there. Brian, have you ever had the opportunity to either counsel or talk to a board of directors about some of these innovative strategies to help not simply improve overall business efficiency, but really help drive or facilitate the drive of strategy in a corporation? Or are you dealing with the, the head of IT, the CTO, or some other senior executive rather than the board of directors? That's a great, great question, Tom. I think you kind of hit the nail on the head. Because 90% of the time, we don't approach CTOs or CIOs. We actually get approached by the board of directors or the new leadership that's put in place to transform the company. That's how we typically get into business most of the time. So the conversation starts like several levels above in all focused on how do we transform this company and how do we build a roadmap where we can apply these modern technologies and create a better consumer and a customer experience or a better B2B experience, depending on whatever the business is and how do we get ahead of the competition. A lot of times when we get calls from senior leaders and board of directors, a lot of the times is that they have a certain initiatives in mind or they have a certain sort of a North Star in mind, but they don't quite know what that North Star is or they've heard collection of information. Because a lot of board of directors don't sit on one board, they sit in any board. So they've seen something happen in this industry and then typically what happens is they actually go into a board meeting and tell us, ask a, a question to the CEO saying, hey, how can generative AI apply in my automobile industry? And the CEO is like totally confused because he's running operating business every day, right? Even though you read about these things, you don't sit and think about how it's applied. Then he goes to the CMO. And then eventually the question pops back again saying, okay, how do we apply worst case? So one of the things we do is we look at a very high level of the business. How do we actually look at use cases that can transform your business? How do we look at business models? Because, no, because use case is one part of it. That's tied to the platform and the consumer experience. There is a much bigger part of it, which is like, can you actually apply, take this modern capability and disrupt your business model? Because disaggregation is everywhere, right? But if you can disaggregate yourself, but actually add, up, add yourself as a part of the value chain, now you are creating some new value. So we look at business model disruption. We look at actually foundational model disruptions. And we also look at like experience disruptions. And we advise the board and it, that eventually takes us into a long-term relationship. And eventually we 
work with the senior leaders, the deployment leaders to, to get this going. We also have, have had business the other way too. We've had CIOs and CTOs who have very specific needs. They know what they want. And then they suddenly have a meeting with us and they've seen our product. Typically, when we talk to customers, we have this concept called the tennis center. So if you go to iterate.ai, our website slash use cases, on the main site, you can go to iterate.ai and you see a little place called use cases. So we call that the Denny's menu. Like when you go into the Denny's restaurant, you have all the pancakes and, you know, all the fatty food. You can see all of that stuff. And then a lot of times when people see what other customers have used it, then the idea suddenly begin to spark in the mind of the leader saying, you know what, I can apply something like that for me. So the idea is to bring the use cases, surface them up so it'll spark new ideas and also people will take something that's from one domain and transfer that into their domain into their business and they can see value brian unfortunately we are near the end of our time for this episode but before we leave i wanted to ask you if our listeners wanted more information on yourself on iterative ai or really any of the topics we've touched on what would be the best place or places for them to go you can read a lot and learn about us at www.iterate, I-T-E-R-A-T-E, iterate, doing it over and over again, iterate.ai. So that's our website. You can reach me at Brian, B-R-I-A-N, Brian at iterate.ai. And happy to answer questions. Yeah. So Brian, I wanted to uh, thank you again for taking the time to visit with me, and I hope we can continue this conversation. It was lovely. Great talking to you, Tom. If you want to stay up to date on the latest innovations in compliance and help your business run more efficiently, subscribe to this podcast and help spread the word by leaving a review.